So today is the beginning of the season of creation. It's a special time in our church life where we get to really pay attention to creation. It was interesting to me this year when the Compromands all did their statements of faith. Nearly every single one of them talked about nature as being a meeting place for them with God. And I'd wager if we raise our hands for and acknowledge who that's true for among us, lots of our hands would go up. So this is a time to really sink into that and contemplate that. We have a lot of good stuff in the service today. You'll get to take physical actions of hope in a few minutes, and we get to ordain our elders and deacons, which is a great moment in the life of the church. So I'm going to try to be concise today. Our text is Genesis 8, verses 20 through 22, and 9, verses 8 through 17. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from, the earth, from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by a flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the waters of the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh of the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We tell this story in Sunday school but I am not entirely sure we should. God decides to destroy 
everybody except for one good guy and his family, so you better be good. And God destroys all of the animals except two of each. What happens to the rest? This is a tough story. I have had a hard time in the past explaining this or considering this along with children. You notice I didn't talk about it at children's time. And the end is only moderately comforting to me. God vows to never do it again, which is great. But then God sets a bow in the clouds not to remind us, but to remind God. Did you catch that in the reading? God needs a reminder. There could be a divine memory lapse. This is concerning to me. What are we to do with this story? I read some reflections this week that opened my eyes to the possibility that this is actually a story of resurrection and hope. It's a story of death. That much is clear. And it may reflect an actual event. Every culture from the area has a story of a massive flood from around the same time. There very likely was an extremely destructive, life-altering flood. And this story, I believe, is an attempt to come to terms with the scale of that death. And our ancestors came to the conclusion that death does not get the last word. In spite of the horror, life survived and endured, persisted and triumphed. And our ancestors' understanding of God shifted through this event. At the beginning of the story, God seems to be a God of vengeance and violence, willing to wipe people out. But then, God makes a stunning turn to grace. The covenant that is made is not an if-you-then-I covenant. It is, I simply promise you, not because of anything you do or don't do, that God promises us and turns from violence, which as a side note, if God doesn't find that violence works as a means to an end, why do we think it will? God hangs up the bow and makes a covenant of absolute grace. And notice, God doesn't just make a covenant with the people in this story. Four times in this passage, the story goes to, is at pains to say that the covenant is with all living creatures, with the flamingos and the mosquitoes alike. 
all living creatures. Animals, plants, protozoa, they are all seen and known. And our fate is tied up with theirs. Violence and death did not get the last word. That is the testimony of our ancestors. In the face of horrible tragedy, our ancestors dared to believe that life would persist and endure. And they dared to hope that it could be different in the future. They dared to hope even in the face of all that death. I find it easy to relate to the despair that our ancestors must have faced. I don't need to tell you that our world is flooding and burning and seemingly coming apart at the seams all around us. And I am tempted often to throw up my hands in despair and think that I can do nothing in the face of all this. And yet our ancestors chose hope in a moment like this. The rabbi Jonathan Sachs helped me see the difference between hope and optimism. He says, optimism is the belief that things will get better. He says, hope is the belief that we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It takes no courage to be an optimist, but it does need courage to hope. Our ancestors chose hope over despair and told a story of a God who changed or their understanding of God changed. And they chose hope for this world. And I have to believe it affected their actions as much as their hearts. So the question for me, and maybe for you, as our world comes apart at the seams, is how will we choose hope? How will we choose that active virtue? There's in your bulletin, as Sarah mentioned, a list of ways to protect endangered species. And you can find all sorts of lists like these all over the place. And sometimes, I will confess, for me it feels like a bunch of shoulds that I can't quite live up to. But I think it is helpful to view these as actions of hope, that we can take one as an act of trust in God's action among us. So I want to give you time to look at that list or consider your own forms of hope and choose one that speaks to you, that you might want to live into this week or this year or this decade. These things take time. 
And as you find an act of hope that resonates with your heart, I invite you to move to the windows. Say excuse me to your neighbors. We'll figure out the traffic pattern as we go. And write down that act of hope that you would like to take to live into God's covenant with us and with all living creatures. So come, let us reflect and dare to hope and share our hope. Amen.